Please be seated. We're delighted to welcome uh, Dr. Brian Chappell uh, to preach uh, this morning. Again, he'll be preaching this evening at the Reformation service as well. Uh, Dr. Chappell serves as the stated clerk of the PCA. That's uh, our sort of our administrative leader, uh, and we are very grateful uh, for his service uh, to the PCA and, and to our church and Presbytery uh, today. Uh, Dr. Chappell, uh, prior to serving there, he was the senior pastor of Grace PCA in Peoria, Illinois, uh, and prior to that, he served as the president of Covenant Theological Seminary, our denomination's uh, seminary. Uh, many of you ha- have told me over the last couple of days, and we, even some shared with him last night, how many of his books have been a blessing uh, to you. Uh, I, am, I am no different. Uh, his book, Christ-Centered Preaching, has, has ministered to me greatly in, in my time as a pastor and also greatly impacted by uh, his book, Holiness by Grace, uh, as well. So uh, we're really excited to have him here. Dr. Chapel. welcome to the pulpit. Thank you to your Pastor Andy for the invitation uh, to be uh, with you at a beautiful time of year in East Tennessee. We don't know about that in Memphis, West Tennessee, you know, uh, where I grew up. Uh, we're from the third state of Tennessee, you know, the other end where the flatlands are. But it's great to be with you and to uh, worship the Lord with you. I know uh, that's where you want me to take you, so as I greet you on this Reformation Sunday, let me take you to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul writes this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Father, would you bless your word to our heart's transformation. May we, by understanding your heart, be transformed Not conform to the world, but conform to your will and ways. This we ask for the glory of our Savior, so we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So if you're paying close attention to the news, you know that yesterday, the Hamas leader who was responsible for the latest attack on Israel, was killed. A year ago, at this time, the Al-Qaeda leader, who was responsible for the attack at 9-11, was killed. A decade ago, Osama bin Laden was killed. If you don't know the names, if they run together, it's because as a culture, we're kind of tired of it all. I know Israel has our attention right now. At the same time, when you say Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, Hussein, we kind of have a response as a culture. 
Can anything good come out of the Middle East? I mean, these days. Can anything good come out of the Middle East? In answer to that question, Christian news commentator Jem Dennison responds this way. Can anything good come out of the Middle East? He writes, in recent years, so many Muslims have been coming to Christ That Christian ministries are placing ads in Middle Eastern newspapers asking this question. Have you seen the man in white robes in your dreams? The question is a response to a phenomenon that has been experienced by literally tens of thousands of Muslims who have exactly the same dream. In the dream... A man in white robes appears to them and beckons them to come to Jesus Christ. Those who have been taught that followers of Jesus Christ hate them are beckoned in a dream to a man in white robes who beckons them to come to himself. And thousands are responding. Now I have to confess something to you. I am a Reformed Presbyterian, and and I don't exactly know what to make of this. I mean, it does not fit my categories, and yet of this I am absolutely sure. There is evidence of an amazing mercy of God on display and on the move. And it defies human explanation, and it defies what we can actually make sense of in our Western culture and our news reports. Do not fail to understand what the secular media cannot understand, and so it cannot report. We know that in the last 15 years of our involvement in the Middle East, more Muslims have come to Christ than in the last 15 centuries. It's it's the old, old story that out of of darkness and shame and pain, Jesus comes and mercy flows. Some of you are old enough to remember that when they cast the missionaries out of China in 1948 and 1949, we thought the gospel was done. It had just begun. Today, this Sunday, there will be more people worshiping Jesus in China than in the United States. Underground, not publicized, much smaller fraction of the population, but such a large population that more people will worship Jesus in China today than in the United States. The fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. Underground, persecuted, flourishing. Out of darkness and pain and shame, Jesus comes, mercy flows. It would have been that way from the beginning. Had you stood at the foot of the cross, you would have said, God, this is wrong. Why do you let the Romans prosper? And then when the Jewish leaders tried to crush the early church through employing a professional named Saul, 
you would have said, God, this is wrong. But out of pain and shame and darkness, Jesus came and mercy flowed. It is the whole point of the book of Romans where the Apostle Paul has gone all the way back to the beginning of humanity and has said through the, through the fall of Adam, corruption came into the world and the consequence is there is none righteous, no, not one. So that even an apostle would say of himself, what I desire to do, that I do not do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And his answer? (laughs) Thanks be to God, through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height or depth, or anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Out of darkness and pain and shame, Jesus comes and mercy flows. And Paul gathers it all together right at this pivot point in the book of Romans where he's saying, now that you know what God has done, live for him. I urge you, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. He he just holds that mercy up, and he says, this is going to change you when you rightly perceive it. It's not just something you you put on a shelf and, oh, isn't it great, the mercy of God, isn't this wonderful? He says, "I, I urge you. By the mercies of God to offer your bodies as living sacrifices to him. And he's going to say explicitly what that means in these following verses. What are our civil responsibilities? What are our moral responsibilities? Corporately, individually. He begins to detail it. There's so much to do. But before you take one step in doing it, he says, now remember why. Why would you do what you do? And the answer we just read, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Now to feel the impact of that, you have to ask, what could he have said in the place of those words? And if you're really trying to motivate people, how would you do it? I urge you, brothers, by the guilt of you will feel if you fail. I urge you, brothers, by the rejection you will face if you fall. He says, none of that. I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to him. And and even though I can repeat those words, I confess to you, If you were raised, and some of you are of my vintage at a certain time in American evangelical culture, even though you know these words, it may be hard to be transformed by them. Now, when when I was raised at First Evan in Memphis, Tennessee, I was one of thousands of young evangelical children across the country who was a member of the BMA, the Bible Memory Association. And if you're a member of the BMA as a child, it's a wonderful thing. 
I mean, you get, a, you get a new little booklet every month, well illustrated, and it has Bible verses for you to memorize. And if you memorize enough verses, you get a prize. I mean, I can remember with pride when I got my very first glow-in-the-dark cross of Jesus. I mean, it was just wonderful. But you know, it can kind of do something to you when you get a reward for your performance of your religious duty. What kind of comes into your heart, even when you don't really mean it. It means I can say these words even now in the King James, right? Because we memorized in the King James in those days. Remember, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, because we did lots of beseeching in the King James days, you know. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to him, which is your reasonable service. You know, I can just rattle it off still. And everything I said is correct. But it is not what my heart heard. This is what my heart heard. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies as living sacrifices, and then you'll be holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Is that what it says? But isn't it what we tend to hear? You be a good living sacrifice, and then you'll be holy and acceptable to God. Listen, what you must hear is this. Holy and acceptable is not a statement of what you will become. It is a declaration of what you are. You are holy and acceptable to God. And we almost want to begin to debate the Apostle Paul. No, that can't be. I know my weakness, I know my sins and my failure. How could I be holy and acceptable to God? <laughs> well, where did the verse begin? I urge you by the mercies of God. Paul has just spent 11 chapters saying, this is what God has done in Christ Jesus, so that by faith you are made right with him, not by your merits, but by his mercy. And now, in view of that mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice in gratitude and thanksgiving, being transformed by the mercy that is yours. It's, it's recognizing that, that, that mercy is the key. If that becomes your motivation, it, it transforms everything of who you are and why you do what you do and how you actually live with power and zeal in the Christian life. We all need it. We all need to be reminded. I think of mercy as motivation when I think of my own wife, who I admire for her, her tenderness with kids and grandkids. You know, when I'm running low on energy and patience, she seems to have a full tank. And uh, I experienced that somewhat last year when uh, across the south uh, an ice storm came. And so in Memphis, where my oldest son is still, uh, they lost power. And about the third day without power, as the house temperature is going into the 40s, 
my son called and he said, uh, Dad, can, can we come and stay with you and Mom for a few? Because we still had power. <laughs> well, sure, come. And so my son came with his wife and their son and their daughter and the dog. And everything went fine for a few hours. And then, you know, kids out of their place and out of their ways, you know, they get kind of anxious and the antics take over. And, and uh, you know, I'm the dad. So as, as my son's children are acting up, you know, I, I kind of look at him and I say to myself, serves you right. <laughs> this is what you did to us. Yeah. But not my wife. Her tenderness actually makes her vulnerable as she looks at the antics of our grandchildren and thinks, oh, if we'd only done better with our children, if, if, if we'd set a better pattern, and suddenly, you know, mistakes or even perceived errors of decades ago come rushing into her mind, her conscience, her heart. And she wants to spiral down emotionally, just thinking of, why did I say that? Why did I not hold my tongue? Why didn't we do? And she says what she's had to learn to do whenever Satan tempts her to go into that file drawer of painful memories. Is to remind herself never to open that file drawer. Unless it's with the key called mercy. God has been merciful to me. And all the merits of Christ have been put in my place. And by faith I have been made right with God. And his mercy covers me. And that's not just a message for moms. The most mature ministers in the faith. Over and over again we have to remember, I appeal to you brothers. By the mercies of God to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. That's what you are. And when you know that, it, it enables you to lift your head and to go again. When you know the failure, you know the difficulty, you know the pain. But he has been merciful to me. Annie and I will know the, the name Alexander White, famous Scottish minister of a century ago. And Alexander White talks about a particular time when a, a crisis came to his community and the ministers gathered in his home and say, what, what do we do now? And as a church whole decided how they would minister to their town. But after the meeting was over, the decisions were made, there was one older minister who just, just kind of lingered in the home of Alexander White. And some of you have had visitors who linger <laughs> and got embarrassing after a while. You know, why doesn't he leave, you know? And when the embarrassment and discomfort got to be too much, the older man looked across the room and he spoke to Alexander White. He said, oh, oh now Dr. White. What word of comfort do you have for an old sinner like me? And Alexander White later wrote, it took my breath away. 
It was spoken as jest. But he was an old saint. And he had lost the comfort of the gospel. Alexander White said he didn't quite know what to say or do. So he just rose from his chair. He crossed the room. He took the hand of the older man. And he said, what word of comfort? Only this. He delights in mercy. The words from the prophet Micah. Not much more was said. The older man left. But the next day, a message came to Dr. White's office. These words. Dear Dr. White, those words that you spoke to me were strength to my soul. I had lost hope. But you reminded me of the heart of my Lord. I will never doubt him again. And the next time Satan throws my sin in my face, I will say, yes, it's all true. And you know not the half of it. But I have to deal with the one who delights in mercy. And so do I. And so do you. We all have to deal with the one who delights in mercy. And the consequence is our hearts are lifted. And it gives strength to our energy and efforts so that we actually desire to be a living sacrifice for the glory of our Savior. It's transformative. And that's why the Apostle Paul will say this, this mercy is not just motivation. It's ultimately power in the Christian life. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, you can't be in our Reformed and Presbyterian circles very long without hearing this language about being transformed by the renewal of your mind. And often the conversation says, now what that means is you, you, you need to kind of intellectually invest in the things of the Spirit. You know, so read good books. Listen to good sermons. You know, really grow in your Christian worldview. Have a renewed mind. Now, now listen, th there are clearly verses in the Bible about setting your mind on things that are good and true and pure and right. And, and, and there are certainly verses on kind of intellectual improvement. This is not one of them. What is this verse about? Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In what way renew your mind? You must understand that what the Apostle Paul is addressing here is actually picking up something that he was grieving about two chapters earlier when he's talking about his brothers and sisters in the Jewish faith. And he's described them and what their difficulties are. In chapter 10, verse 2, he's speaking about Jewish brothers and sisters. And he said, I bear them witness. They have a zeal for God, but not According to knowledge. You hear that? There's something wrong with their minds. What is wrong with their minds? Verse 3. 
for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. In Reformation Sunday, you need to remember what God's righteousness is. Do you remember what Luther discovered, which he said was as opening the gates of paradise, when he read from the very first chapter of this book of Romans, verses 16 and 17. There is a righteousness of God that has been revealed from faith for faith. As it has been written, the righteous shall live by their good works if they try real hard. (laughs) No, the righteous shall live by faith. And here Paul is saying, what's wrong with the Jewish mind? They are trying to establish their own righteousness. And they are not submitting to the righteousness of God, which is saying what? You cannot provide what is needed. You must by faith trust that God will provide what is needed. And when you know it is by faith that you are made right for God, right with God, what do you trust? His mercy. And it is that knowledge of the mercy of God that is supposed to be transformative so that you're not conformed to the world. If you're not trusting in the mercy of God, what do you trust in? You trust in some measure of your own righteousness, not God's righteousness. And that's what the rest of the world does. We're Western culture. So when we tell people that they need to follow Scripture, they need to be holy, they need to be holy and acceptable to God, the average person says, well, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm just better than those people. Most people are living the religion of comparison. Not perfect, but better than them. Rather, it's their their politics, their religion, their kids' behavior, whatever it is. Not perfect, but better than. And the reason God will accept me is because we're in this competition, you know. And it's it's kind of like the old joke. I, I, I don't have to outrun the bear, I just have to outrun you, you know. I just have to be better than you, and, and I'll be. I urge you, by the mercies of God, not anything in you, what Luther would call the alien righteousness of Christ applied to you, that on the cross your sin was put on Christ and Christ's righteousness was put on you. And that is your hope and that is your blessing. And you are not living like the rest of the world. Competition, comparison. That, that's the world. That's not the church. And, and, and it begins to change us when we are using mercy as it were the filter to understand everything we do and how we respond to other people. Not by competition, not by comparison like the world but according to the mercies of God. Mercy, as it were, becomes the filter by which we test and approve what is the will of God. Now, this is not just kind of some spineless sentimentality. You know, the preacher's supposed to love and mercy. The very hardest things in life are only possible By those who have been transformed by the mercy of God. Paul will say the very hardest things required of those who are living sacrifices in this very same chapter. 
I appeal to you by the mercies of God, he has said. And now look at verse 10. Still Romans 12. What does that then do for transformed people? Verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Oh, but Lord. They they don't deserve that. Yes, says the Lord. But I delight in mercy. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. But Lord, don't you know what they did to me? Don't you know what he did to my family? Yes, says the Lord. But I delight in mercy. Verse 18. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. But Lord, they started it. Yes. But I delight in mercy. Verse 19, never avenge yourselves. But Lord, that is not reasonable. Yes. But it is the reasonable service of those who have been transformed by the mercy of God. If you want to consider how transformative the mercy of God is, you have only considered the person who is writing, the Apostle Paul. When he summarizes all the obligations of those who have been transformed by the mercy of God, he actually speaks of himself in Romans chapter 15 and verse 15. He says this, Because of the grace given to me, I am a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. I, he says, am a minister of Christ Jesus to Gentiles. Do you remember what his early employment was? This is Saul, the one who by his own testimony persecuted to death the followers of Jesus Christ. And now the mercy of God has so entered his heart, changed his mind, changed his life, that he says, I am now a minister of Jesus Christ and a priest to Gentiles. Which from his Jewish background would have been considered worse than dogs. And yet I'm a priest and I live among a priesthood of believers. Who are all called to the same ministry. For people who are totally undeserving. For people who have wronged us. For people who are on the other side of the party line. For people who have betrayed us. People we have every reasonable cause to hate. And have anger toward. And Paul says. But God says to you. By the mercy. By the mercy. By the mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, 
for the good of the one who gave himself for you. God, how am I going to do that? By the mercy. Andy and I have a friend, long-term mission leader named Paul Koistra. Also went to RTS. And, um, you know, there was a time that Paul, before he went into ministry, he was a social worker in an impoverished school district in the South. And trying to help kids who were in disadvantaged situations. And he learned about a young woman. She had trouble reading like a lot of young people do. And so she was put in a remedial reading program in her school district. But the remedial reading program, like so often happens, wasn't so good. Because when a child got labeled as a problem reader, that label seemed to stick more than whatever curriculum was supposed to get you back up on grade level. Everybody who went into the remedial reading program never got out. It was like this academic whirlpool. Except for one young woman, her name was Edie. And because she was good at track, you know, they called her Speedy Edie. Speedy Edie got out, got back up on grade level. And of course now all the administrators in the district speak to her teacher. What did you do different with Edie? Well, nothing. Well, did you give her a different? Well, no, I didn't give her a different book. Different curriculum. Well, well, no, not different. Well, you must have done something different. Said the teacher, well, you know, Edie's good at track. Well, yeah, we know all about speedy Edie. Said the teacher, sometimes I went to her track meets. And I cheered for her. That was the difference. There was somebody for her, despite the difficulty, despite the trials, despite the united. There was someone who was cheering for her. And, and knowing that she had someone who was for her changed her. And it's the very thing that is happening in this passage. Listen, you and I know we're kind of midst of the World Series right now. And in a few days there will be you know, some World Series champion. And you can just imagine ninth inning Walk off home run, who knows what, and you can just, the crowd goes wild, you know. You can hear the cheers, the wonderful noise, the the huge roar of the crowd. Which is faint compared to 10,000 times 10,000 angels declaring over you this statement of God. Lord, holy and acceptable is this one. Not by merit, not by deserving, but this one, Lord, has your mercy, has trusted Jesus Christ. This one is yours. And the angels say before God himself, your status, holy and acceptable, chin on the ground, tears on the face, Wondering why God would love you. But God is declared holy and acceptable. And by that we know we are made right with God. By mercy he saves us. By mercy he motivates us. By mercy he empowers us. By the mercy, by mercy, by mercy. It is the echo of grace that makes our service sweet. And our hearts strong. Oh Christian, why do you do what you do? I urge you, 
by the mercy of God, to live for the one who gave himself for you. It will be your motiv- It will be more than motivation. It will be your power. Serve him by the mercy. He has made you holy and acceptable. Live for him. Father, I thank you for those who serve you because you have loved us. Would you remind us that is not a truth just for the first day of our Christian walk, but for every day that we are strengthened, motivated, empowered by a Savior whose love is greater than anything we could do. And knowing it becomes the source of joy that is our strength. Give us such joy because you delight in mercy and you change us by it. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for the benediction. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Go in the mercy of God. Amen. Thank you for listening. For the sermon archive, go to wpcjc.org forward slash resources forward slash sermon hyphen archive. Scripture quotations are from the ESV Bible, the Holy Bible, English Standard Version, copyright 2001 by Crossway, a publishing ministry of Good News Publishers, used by permission, all rights reserved. ESV texts may not be quoted in any publication made available to the public by a Creative Commons license. ESV may not be translated in whole or in part into any other language. Verbal credit must also be given to the ESV.